You guys want to meet an amazing young worshiper? Do you? Gabriella, come on up here for a moment. This is my granddaughter all the way from Seattle, Washington. And she loves Jesus with all of her heart. You can see it in her worship and the way she shares and interacts with others. She is passionate about Jesus. Amen? All right. Thank you. Ah. Yeah, yeah. She's, gonna, she's got a sermon for you guys today. <clears throat> Probably better than this. No. I... Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, whatever label your camp you came from, whatever your history is, your theology, it's all over the charts. But for me, Easter really is a time of celebration of the resurrected Christ. It is a time of, of, of really reflection. When you look at the week preceding the death of Jesus, we have so many stories that are woven into that storyline. We have the story of Jesus triumphantly entering into Jerusalem, riding on what we would call a Rolls Royce today. He was on a donkey, but back in that day, if you had a donkey, you had some money. It was a big deal. And then we have the story of his betrayal by Judas. Then woven in the fabric of this whole entire narrative, we have the story of the Last Supper. We have the story of his arrest. We have the story of his crucifixion. We have the story of his death. And we have the story of his burial in the tomb, which ends in this triumphant finish where he's resurrected from the dead. Amen? I hope you can get a little Pentecostal with me today. But I just, there you go. I just want to share a couple things before I start, and that is, I grew up in a family where my mother was never around. She abandoned me when I was very young. Most of you know that story. But my grandmother raised me, and she did everything she could to make these occasions like Easter, very special. And I was about five years old was my first recollection, recollection of Easter in that moment. And of course, it was a basket filled with goodies and little things for Easter. It was an Easter basket. Most of us are familiar with that. And my grandmother, bless her heart, that was where she was at. She wanted me to know and to celebrate. I don't ever remember going to church at that age, but I remember my grandmother having this moment for me. And she said, the Easter bunny brought this to you. Now, we live right next door to a rabbit tree. So I remember going outside, walking up to these rabbit cages, trying to figure out how that worked. And I'm still on that quest. Growing up, we moved up here to Oregon. I remember in early ages, around eight on, um, we'd go to youth camp. What a powerful experience. That's where I first had my encounter with the power of the resurrected Christ. Truly impacted my heart. Probably more of my head. My heart came later, but it had a big impact on my beginning. But one of the things that was very notable to me was Easter Sunday when we would have a sunrise service up in Wolf Creek. We used to go on top of this mountain, and there was an old man up there had some property. I think his last name was Nyman, Mr. Nyman, and an old German guy, and he had a problem 
drinking a little too much, and he would come out, and every year I remember him on his knees screaming and begging for God to forgive him. And I remember George, the pastor, dealing with him. It was, it was, it was a very memorable moment, not in a negative way, but it's just looking at how this man was caught in this cycle. He never quite seemed to be able to make the connection. Then later on, I remember having Easter morning service down in Coyote Creek in the old town of Golden in the old church there. How many remember have seen the old church in Golden? It is beautiful. It was built in the 1840s, 50s. It is amazing. But what was interesting to me was on that moment, on that day, you had people coming out of the little haulers of Wolf Creek, Sunny Valley, Coyote Creek, Lower Grave Creek, Upper Grave Creek. You didn't even know who these people were. They couldn't all fit inside the building. They were poured all over outside. Once a year, they would show up. Once a year. And it's very sad to me as I've grown in the Lord to realize that every day is resurrection day. Every day. And, and we left the church calendar years ago when it came to this moment. And I don't mean that mockingly. I just mean that with all sincerity. Jesus was crucified once. And he rose again once for all of eternity. And there are a lot of people today that are caught in that cycle and they come and they celebrate this moment and maybe it's a reflective time, I don't know. I'm not trying to judge and that's not my heart. My heart is to say that every day is resurrection day. Right, Right? amen? Yeah, Yeah, you guys are getting it, good. All right. Well hey, I I want to start with a story in the narrative of the crucifixion that we typically do not hear a lot about. And that is the story about the thief on the cross. And what can we learn from the thief that hung on the cross next to Jesus? Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 23. 33 through 43, I'm going to be reading. I mixed a couple other scriptures out of Matthew in here too, just to kind of emphasize what's going on here. Luke 23, starting in verse 33. Jesus, leading up to this, had been brutally, brutally beat. How many here have watched The Passion or had the stomach to watch The Passion? Oh my goodness. It was tough, yes. It was brutal. Jesus was brutally beaten. He was whipped 39 times. They said 40 would kill a person. 39 times he was beat on his back with, and I don't want to get super graphic here, although sometimes I think we need a reminder of it, but he was brutally beat. They pulled his beard out in chunks. Then they pressed a thorn, a a, a crown of thorns upon his head so hard it had to have gone and stuck into his skull. Brutal, brutal. The savior of the world was treated that harshly. And he came, and he's beat, and he's bloody. And now he's carrying and dragging his cross up the hill as far as he can before another man, I believe Simon, steps in and carries it the rest of the way. And just the cross alone had to have been hard because it was full of splinters and it was rough. They did not want any of this journey to feel comfortable. They wanted Jesus to feel the wrath of their hatred towards them. Unfortunately, most of that was the the religious Jewish community. So let's move on. When they came to a place, I'm reading out of the NIV, called the skull, they crucified him there along with criminals. 
Now, these criminals were sitting on death row. They were awaiting death. They ha- obviously, we don't know what they did, but whatever they did justified them being apparently killed. Uh, crucifixion, brutal, brutal. Along with the criminals, he had one on his right, the other on his left. So picture Jesus, he's in the center. He's got someone on his left and a thief on his right. And he says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. He's speaking about all the people that are congregating around him. And he says, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. It said, the people stood watching. Can I get this ring out of here? Is Jason here? Oh, sorry, thank you. The people stood watching, and the rulers, the rulers even sneered at him. They said, quote, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. So they're mocking the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as he's hanging there as a bloody pulp upon the cross. They are mocking them with all they've got. They're bitter. They're angry. And they're just hurtling insults at Jesus. Matthew 27, 44, you don't have to turn there, puts it this way. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Let him come down. Let him crawl off that cross and then we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Now, if he takes pleasure in him, for he has said, I am the son of God. Talk about mocking. This is about as brutal as it gets. And he says, in the same way, even the criminals who were with him, uh, being crucified with him, taunted him. Unbelievable. You're being crucified, and you have the ability to taunt one of the people there with you. Ah, yes. Back to Luke. It says, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar. And they said to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. They put a sign above Jesus' head that said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there and hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us too. Prove who you are. Come on, dude. That's me emphasizing scripture here. But the other criminal rebuked him. So one minute, both the criminals are insulting Jesus. That's what the word says. And then the next moment, only one is, and the other one is saying, don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. So, in the thief that had the change of heart, what happened? What happened? You know, we read in the scriptures here that here is Jesus hanging on the cross with thieves on either side of them, and both of them begin mocking and blaspheming God, along with all of the spectators, or most all of them who were on the ground, as they gaze upon a grossly disfigured image of Christ hanging on the cross. He would have been unrecognizable. 
I don't think there was not a spot on his body that wasn't swollen or covered with blood. But somehow, what I, I guess in saying that what bothers me the most is sometimes it seems the most ridiculous wounds that humanity has ever, ever, ever experienced has come from the religious community. Yes. Ah. And it's important to say that because there are a lot of people who are not serving God because they have witnessed this kind of cruelty within the walls of a church. Yes. Am I right? Yes. Or perhaps they've heard a weak and powerless gospel that has really mis misrepresented the gospel from the pulpit itself. In the past so many years, we've heard a lot of weak, watered-down messages that really do misrepresent the gospel. And many people have witnessed and have seen a disfigured gospel preached in the church. Church people, I'm talking in general, they can be mean. They can lie. And they can treat people worse than the people in the world. It's sad to say, but it's true. But listen, it's not the truth of the gospel that has failed. Not at all. It's the mishandling or the misuse of the gospel. That's what's failed. It is how we've watched people use the gospel for their own purposes. We are watching at a time in history, narcissism at a whole nother level. It's all about me. It's all about me and Jesus and my little world. And it's a heartbreaker. But let's move on. When the thief asked Jesus to remember him, Jesus responded that they would both be together in paradise, even in his dying breath, even in all the pain that Jesus was in, he was thinking about saving others. That's what he did. That was his heart. You know, we know that the, th we know that the thief probably had never really saw the works of Christ, but he had to have heard of the works of Christ. We do know that the thief hanging there next to Jesus, he saw Jesus with his own eyes, beaten and bloodied, but something happened in his heart. It wasn't the appearance of Jesus because I think Jesus was unrecognizable when he hung on the cross, but I think it was something deeper in the thief's spirit that bore witness to what he saw and what he felt as he hung there in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. So here's this thief in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and although he really doesn't recognize him, he knows that he's in the presence of something bigger than he is. He knows that he's in the presence of something that can save him for eternity. He had to have known that because the Spirit of God, oh, I just think through Jesus' actions, Father, forgive them. I think and through other things that we probably don't even read into the scriptures, Jesus presented as a witness, God. And this drew this thief's heart to God. It's a powerful moment when you think about it. You know, we have one thief on the cross who responds in faith, while the other thief, he responds in bitterness. And I can tell you right now, that thief who responded in bitterness... He is suffering from a deadly and eternal mistake. Make no doubt about it. And it's remarkable that while in this mind-numbing, excruciating pain on the cross, that Jesus had the heart, Jesus had the mind, Jesus had the will to pray for others. 
Yet I think also it's a miracle that one thief, while in agony himself, heard the Spirit of God call him to repentance, call him to forgiveness, is amazing, which was about to be provided through the death of Jesus. Well, most of the disciples we read in the story and around the story and other things mixed into it, we see they're abandoning Jesus. They're kind of stepping away from it. I don't know that guy. They're getting back, stepping farther and farther away. But the thief, he answered the call. His sins were forgiven, including his blasphemy, his mocking of God. It's important to know that. Luke 12 tells us, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Do you know Jesus? Do you say you know Jesus? Do you say you know Jesus even when it's uncomfortable? Remember, remember when uh, Peter was standing there and said, well, weren't you with him? And Peter, oh, no, no. And Peter denied him three times. That had to have been a brutal, dark moment. But God in his love and his wisdom had a plan for Peter. And he wasn't going to let it be thwarted. So, I wrote here the fact, excuse me, but whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You know, it's interesting. The fact that, that, that this other thief rejected Jesus is really remarkable in its own right because while he's being tortured, he literally joins his torturers in insulting the Savior of the world. I can't get my head around that, but he does. Maybe he did it because he wanted them to think that he was just like them. His acceptance was more based on being accepted by those people than it was Jesus. So who do you want to be accepted by? Which way are you leaning? Are you leaning into the world or are you leaning into Christ? I mean, only you can answer that question. Because it's, it's interesting in a deeper sense. Here's this thief on the cross next to the savior of the world who had to have been feeling something. He heard him. He heard Jesus pray. He saw Jesus witness salvation to the other thief. He saw the world go dark, the earth shake, and he heard the testimony of the Son of God. But yet it was his pride. It had to have been his pride that kept him from submitting to the only one who could save him. And one day, this man, that thief, will have to bow before Jesus. Because Philippians 2.10 says that, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There will come a moment in time when every one of us, wherever you are at at that moment, will have to bow a knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Happily, I hope. But it's just so crazy to me that this man, standing in the presence of God, didn't get it. So what do we learn from the thief that was saved on the cross? I, I think we learn that we are all in need of a sinner, a uh, savior, I'm sorry. <laughs> just trying to see if you guys are awake. That thief on the cross was a witness to the transforming power of Jesus. 
he was a witness to the transforming power of Jesus. Why? It's not written in there, but I can speculate that that man died in peace. He did not die in torment. I believe the other guy went out kicking and screaming, holding on to the door jam as long as he could before he went to where he was going to be sent. But I believe that the thief that accepted Christ, he died with incredible peace. There is such, there is such power in watching someone transition over that threshold through the veil into eternity when they know Jesus. There is a peace that just comes upon the room. There is a peace that comes upon that moment that surpasses anything we can even put words to. But when you watch someone who doesn't know Jesus and that happens, it's a dark moment. You feel it if you've ever been in that presence. Years ago, a brother called me and said, can you come pray with my father? He's dying, he's in intensive care, this is how much longer to live, and et cetera, et cetera. So I show up and I said, what do you want, bro? And his dad is, they had him strapped down and he's just writhing and just, he's unconscious in appearance, but he's moving and everything and bells and whistles and all kinds of stuff on his dad. And he says, I just want my dad to know Jesus. I just want my dad to accept him as his Lord and Savior. I said, well, let's pray that. And there was a really cranky nurse there. I will call her Nurse Ratchet. (laughs) So we started to pray, and, and all of a sudden, all of these bells and whistles that were making all kinds of sounds, Ryan just started saying, hey, Dad, I just want you to know Jesus. He's there. Reach out to him before you go. Grab hold of him. We don't know what's happening in that moment. We may think we do, but we don't know. So he just prayed that prayer over his dad. He said, Dad, please ask Jesus to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive. Whatever. He just prayed. And I remember these machines that were going, making all these crazy sounds. All of a sudden, they just went quiet. And all you could hear was, deet, deet. And here come Nurse Ratchet. She comes in the room. She says, what are, and then she put her hand on her mouth. And she stopped. She says, what are you guys doing? I said, we're praying for his father. And she went, looked at all the bells and whistles, and she went, oh. And I kid you not, just a few moments later, you could feel the presence of God settle on the room. It was almost like this gentle breeze as his father slipped into eternity. And the writhing and the, and the whole fighting thing, there was such a peace and a calm that came upon him. Guys, I'm telling you, as long as there is a voice to hear our voice, never, never stop proclaiming the gospel. Even if they're at that point of crossing over the threshold into eternity, never, 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 never stop sharing Jesus. My wife had a story. Her grandmother, she was in her late 90s, and she was deaf, had been for years, and she was in the hospital, and she was out and everyone says, you got to go see grandma because she's going to go to eternity and da, da, da. And my wife wasn't sure if grandma, her grandmother really knew Jesus or not. So she walked in the room and she just grabbed grandma's hand and started praying with her and talking to her. She said, grandma, I want you to know Jesus loves you. And she just said, I hope you love Jesus too, grandma. And she just started sharing Jesus with grandma. And all of a sudden, grandma's eyes opened and she gave her this beautiful smile and like a thumbs up. Is that pretty close to the story, honey? Yeah. 
Never. Never lose that opportunity or that moment. You may come upon a car wreck. Don't be ashamed to go up and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Can I pray for you? Whatever. It takes courage and it takes a boldness to do that. But I'm telling you, you're never too late and it's never too late to proclaim the gospel and to come alongside others. Amen? Amen. I think this is something important that we can learn from one of the thieves on the cross is that it's never too late to repent. It's never too late to accept God's free gift of salvation. It's never too late to share it either. We're in a moment and a season where we need to be bold and we need to be courageous. And there are young and tender hearts out there as well as old, worn out soldiers that need to hear this truth. God loves you. He's not mad at you. Unfortunately, the world for years has sent out this message that God is angry. God is a judge. And I think a lot of that comes from the theology that we learned from those that wrote it. They were a lot of these guys, Calvin and some of these, they were attorneys. And they wrote from a perspective of being in a courtroom and there's a judge and you're guilty when you enter the room. It's not true. God's not mad at you. He loved you so much, he sent his son to die on the cross for you and for me. Amen? So Easter is a time when the global church celebrates this pivotal, pivotal event of our faith. Can I get that water, sweetheart? Is it up here? This, this pivotal event of our faith, and that is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Thank you. This is my lovely wife, Sandy. The resurrection of Jesus is one of the most powerful beliefs in Christianity, and it's the very foundation, it's the very cornerstone of our hope. Amen? Amen. On the cross, when you think about it, the fate of the entire human race, along with the hope of a bright future and tomorrow, hung there on the cross. Even, Even the thought of life after death, it all hung with him on the cross. And it seemed as if people standing there that weren't cheering and mocking, they were like, what happened? We followed this guy. We listened to this guy. We believe in this guy. What happened? I believe there had to have been a moment of pondering this question. Like, it it seemed as if the entire human race was doomed to endure pain and to endure anguish in this life and then to die eternally separated from God. But Jesus took care of all of that. He broke it. He got the keys to hell. He went down. He kicked the gates open. You guys know the story. He come triumphantly marching out. You could say he went in and he pierced the kingdom of darkness with his penetrating light. It could be argued that at that point, Jesus, the light of the world, went nuclear. If you know anything about nuclear explosions, they can, the, the brightness of them can go through walls. My father was in atomic weapons testing, and he talks about being in the Bikini Atoll. He was in Operation Castle, and that infamous mushroom cloud with the rings of ships around it. He was on one of those ships, and he said, they told us not to look at the hull. That's the outward wall. Not to look at that wall. But we did. (laughs) And he said, when the explosion went off, it glowed. It glowed. The intensity of that light pierced through that metal. That was Jesus when he bust forth burst forth, came out of the grave. He went nuclear. And I believe 
I believe beating in the heart of every believer throughout history, there has been a desire to experience that same transforming power that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? How many of you are tired of living just an ordinary life? You feel in your spirit there's more, and you want more, and you want to walk in more. It's there. You have to experience the power of the resurrection. The same Jesus, we are told, lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and is continually at work in us to conform us to his image. But how do we actually start this process, this process of transformation? How do we experience the resurrection in, in, uh, uh, the resurrection of Christ in ways that change our lives daily and impact our, our, our relationships with others, that makes us move among our peers in a way that brings light to a dark world? How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, the resurrection, I believe, and the story and the power of it all begins with a witness. A witness to and of the transforming power of the resurrected Christ. Over there in those chairs, we witness the resurrection power of Christ. Over there in those chairs, we witness the power of a resurrected Christ. So what does it mean? What does it really truly mean to be a witness for Christ? And I think the way we answer this question is so important. I wrote here, to the modern world, a witness is commonly understood as someone who testifies on behalf of a person or to an event that he or she has witnessed or seen with their own eyes, like an accident or, or something. You're called in as a witness. And I think this is real common, this is a real common understanding in, in, in witness in a court of law. But such a witness, I wrote, is meant to establish the truth so that proper judgment can be rendered by the appropriate authority. That's what the world would basically call a witness. But as followers of Jesus, it goes so much more deeper. We are called to serve as a witness to our faith. <clears throat> Amen? So to be a witness, I wrote, to Christ is to demonstrate by our words, our actions, and our attitude the sacred mystery that we have seen and we have heard and we have believed in our hearts about the Lord who has forgiven our sins and has offered to us eternal life. And this is something that isn't we just show up on one day to a courtroom on, on a Monday or a Sunday or whatever day and for one moment. It's 24-7. We're called to be those witnesses 24-7. You and I, I wrote, <clears throat> witnesses to Christ Witness to Christ, not by giving testimony to facts about the truth, because here's the challenge. Truth is not always visible or provable by modern standards. The truth that we've experienced. We render testimony to what we have seen in our hearts and not necessarily what we have seen with our physical eyes. So here we're witnessing about something that has touched and changed our lives but what evidence do we have that it's proof that we really did witness and experience something? It comes through a changed life. How many of you have had a friend that you haven't seen for years and they come back and hang around you for a moment and they go, wow, you really have changed. I'm talking for the better. <laughs> for the better. You really have changed. That's because you've been standing in the presence of God. You've been following Jesus. I wrote here, we, we testify to our faith more effectively in our actions than in our words, inviting people not, to simply, not simply to understand what we are saying, 
but to meet the Lord personally and powerfully through our faith, our hope, and our love that we have placed in Him. Like the first witnesses in the gospel, there were and there are many, many witnesses to the transforming power of the resurrected Christ. Did you know that right after Jesus rose from the grave, in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, it says, after that he appeared to more than 500. It wasn't just a few women at first, which it was, Mary Magdalene and some others at first, then some of the apostles, but he also appeared to 500 other people. That's a lot of people. But we as believers, if we have witnessed the resurrected power of Christ, we become a witness too to that story. So it is a huge number. And some people say, well, you know, that's just written in the Bible. There's no historical proof about that. Well, actually, there is. There is. Josephus. Josephus was a first century Jewish Roman. He was a historian. He was a military leader. Unfortunately, I think Josephus was probably one of the most luckiest traitors because he had joined lots with the Romans and kind of ditched his own people. And I'm not sure why he did all that, but in the end... They asked him to write history, historical accounts of the events of things that were happening. And in a book he wrote called The Iniquities of the Jews, he says this. This is, this is you can check this out. Look up the book, uh, Josephus, and Iniquities of the Jews. It says, now there was a time, this is his writing. Now there was a time about this time, Jesus, a wise man, <clears throat> if it be lawful to call him man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many Jews and also many of the Greeks. This man was the Christ. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross, upon his impeachment by the principal man among us, those who had loved him from the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive on the third day. This is a historical account written by Josephus. The divine prophets having spoken these and thousands of others, wonderful things about him. And now even <clears throat> the race of Christians so named from him have not died out. What's amazing about this passage, this particular passage here, is that this was a Jew writing to pre please the Romans. He didn't want to upset them, but this story would not have pleased him. <clears throat> so it's hard to imagine that he would have written anything that wasn't true. <clears throat> it's an amazing thought. So here was a question that I presented to two people today. What was the most notable moment when you became aware of the transforming power of the resurrected Christ? Tony? Come on up, brother. Let's hear for Tony Schwartz. You know, just when we were when we were sitting here, I <clears throat> he was talking about the thief that asked the Lord, you know, and um, I thought about my uh, testimony of getting born again, where um, I had this experience, and I don't know if it was a revelation or just, <clears throat> you know, there is a spirit of understanding in Isaiah 11, and uh, I was 19 years old, and uh, <clears throat> my mother kicked me out of the house. Mm. She got tired of smelling dope smoke, 
coming out of my bedroom. I was, uh, like so many uh, others, uh, <clears throat> drug addict at that time, raised in San Francisco area. And uh, <clears throat> so somehow I had this realization that I was disconnected from my mother. And I didn't realize what I was connected, that I was connected with her in such a way that I just kind of thought when I saw God, that's it. She's going to, you know, vouch for me and God's going to go, okay, he's in. But when I realized that's not what was going to happen, uh, I started looking for God. <clears throat> I was still a drug addict. You can't talk somebody out of drugs. Jesus heals them, yeah. sets them yeah. free. You yeah. can't talk somebody <clears throat> yeah. out of drugs. Amen. You know, I was committed to drugs. But I started looking for the Lord, and I said, there's got to be more than this. <clears throat> and uh, it was a disconnect from my mother and just realized I'm on my own. And when I did, uh, one night I was reading a book that my uh, father had given me. It was the book of John in storybook form. And the presence of God came into this room in uh, San Jose, California. And I, and I just started crying. <clears throat> and my first prayer was, Jesus, I want to be just like you. It's oh, good. And when that happened, <clears throat> immediately in my heart, I said, I'm different. I mean, I got born again. That's so good. And I believe that <clears throat> the thief on the cross, the, uh, I mean, I don't know how he couldn't have felt disconnected from everything he had been connected to, but when he felt that disconnect, he said, Jesus, remember me yes. when you come into your kingdom. Amen. kingdom. And so, of course, he got born again. So there's a whole lot more to my story than that. That's but good. I promised Doug. <laughs> By the way, we went on a trip to uh, see, see, Ma oh, time's up. See, see Mario Morello. And uh, da Daniel's not here today, Danny uh, Williamson. But, of course, in humility, I sat in the back seat when we were driving down there. And uh, these guys never run out of stories. I mean, it was an endless flow of rhetoric. And so, anyway, I just had to share that. I, I, I'm sorry Danny wasn't here to hear that. So, anyway. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Next person I asked came all the way from Seattle, Washington. My daughter, Emily. She wanted to email it, but I said, no, you have to show up in person. He just asked me this morning. Oh. Okay, so when my dad was asking me this morning to share a time when um, the transformational power of Jesus was real in my life, um, I was kind of praying about it. And I think that, you know, as we live our lives, we have these moments that happen all throughout our journey, right? And so I want to share one that happened um, a couple years ago that really changed how I felt about um, 
people who were drug addicts. <laughs> so uh, my husband and I do foster care. We've done foster care for about four years now. And we had, um, one day I found myself sitting on the floor holding a one-and-a-half-year-old who was having a very epic nosebleed because of the extensive drug use his mom had done while she was pregnant with him. And so I'm holding this kid, trying to figure out, okay, am I, should I call 911? Is this, you know, can I get this under control? Because it was that much blood, right? And so I'm covered in blood, he's covered in blood, my kids are like, that's a lot of blood. And I found myself getting really, really angry at his, his birth mom. And I, I feel this anger rise up in me because, you know, it's not fair to him. And, you know, I'm angry for her that she's doing drugs and everything. And so I have all this anger inside of me. And in a moment, I saw Jesus hanging on the cross and watched as the blood ran down from his hands, down his body, dripped off his feet, and then ran on to this kid's birth mom oh. and ran over the top of her down onto the boy I was holding, and then continued to run over me into the puddles that were on the floor around me. And in that moment, like, all of that anger was just gone, right? And to be able to see the blood of Jesus, you know, it's, it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, right? It's something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it affects everybody who lived before that and everybody who's going to come after that. And so for me to be able to see, you know, in my moment, how that blood was still running for, for me and for my son and, you know, for, for his mom as well, like that was just a really impactful moment for me where the cross became more than just a story you read about and something that you believe happened, but something that was really tangible to see in the moment. That's good. That's good. Wow. <clears throat> Guys, not just today, but every Sunday, every day, you can meet the God in power. Why? Because he's risen. You just heard testimony to that. You know, I'm, I'm running into a lot of believers right now that are in this moment where they're begging the Lord to return, to get us out of here before this all goes there in a handbasket by the dreaded Antichrist who's coming for us, who's knocking on our door. But Jesus, I don't believe, came to this earth. I don't believe he came to shed his blood only to have his bride taken out in some humiliating way. I don't believe that for a moment. I've read the end of the book, We Win he wins. The door does not hit him on the hiney on the way out because he has risen. <clears throat> if you don't like the condition that the world's in right now, and, and let's, let's be honest, the elephant in the room is it's ugly out there. There's a lot of bad things going on. But if you don't like the condition the world, world is in, you need to look into the mirror. This one is on us because we are the church of the resurrected Christ. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit pulsating through our bodies. Do you not know that? Because he has risen. As Christians, we are, as the word says, we are like him, the light of the world. Where is your light? You need to uncover it. You do have a light. It may be burning dim, but open it up. Let some oxygen get in there. Stop hiding in the closet. It's time to get out and to speak up. Listen, the day awaits us. It does. 
Romans 8, 19 says, For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation's waiting for us to come out of the closet, to come out of the tomb, to come out of our grave and to shine. This storm that we're looking at will recede. It will back off if we take hold of courage and resist it, if we push back for the devil that it is. And in the name of Jesus, we take our stand. Guys, if Jesus raised his voice. He spoke to the storm. Did the storm keep coming? No, it receded. It backed off. We must also raise our voices as well. We must speak to the storm. And we need to speak to those that are steering it and the spirits behind them and declare it's in. It stops now because he has risen. Hebrews 10.23 tells us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he has promised, he who promised is faithful. God promised he would deliver, he will deliver. He is faithful, he does not go back on his promises. He is not a liar. There is something powerful about speaking up. There is something powerful about confessing with your mouth. So instead of praying and getting in this mode of praying for the Lord to come back, and, 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 and so I don't have to deal with all this mess that's going on. Why don't you try standing up and saying, send me, Lord, put me into the fight because he is risen. I can do this. If nothing else, you need to learn to fight on your knees. Guys, it doesn't matter what the government or the scientists or the world says, the political politicians, it doesn't matter. What really matters is that he is risen, that he is risen. This is an ironclad reality that we need to be declaring with great conviction. It doesn't matter what the devil has said. His lies don't count. He is a liar. Know that truth now. He is a liar. His threats don't matter. Why? Because Jesus is risen. This morning, I want to fire you up. I want to be that voice who is shouting, greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. So greater is he that is in you, 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 you all, than he who is in the world. You have to know that. And if you've experienced that resurrection power, you will know that. Guys, you've never heard me, I hope you never do hear me preach, saying, you know, let's just make the best of this situation. I don't think you've ever heard me say that. You've never heard me say, you know, it's all going to be over soon. It'll all be back to normal. (laughs) That's not true. In light of eternity, guys, I don't think we've really lost anything that really matters. I think the fact that Jesus is risen is the only thing that matters. Do you know the resurrected Christ? Do you know the power of his resurrection? Do you want to know? Do you want to know more of his power? Let's stand up. Right now, I believe that Jesus is calling you out of your darkness. He's calling you out of your shame. He's calling you out of your addiction. He's calling you out of your grief. He's calling you out of your pain to heal you. How can he do this? Because he is risen. He is alive. Are you? Are you as alive as you want to be? Or do you want to become more? That was a great answer. Do you want to be more alive? I want to be all in. I want to be just as alive 
when I'm having a bad day at Black Rock as I am when I'm having a great day. You catch that? I want to be alive. And I want to be alive to Christ, to be used by Him, to proclaim the gospel with power and with authority. We have a, we have a video. I think we have a video. Do we have a video? Where's my guys at here? There it is. Thank you, Tony. I, this is Natalie Grant singing alive. If, if, if that's you and you want to be more alive, I invite you to step into his presence. I want you to come forward and, and we want to pray over you. If you're that person that's struggling with shame and addiction and grief and pain, God wants to touch you now and he can do this. Why? Because he has risen. He wants to make you come alive. Amen? Amen. Let's do this.